Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and Ashley. <laughs> I was really struggling to get the whole thing out, so I was trying to use hand gestures to get it there. If we included audio I, or a video, I mean, I swear people would probably unsubscribe. They'd yeah, be like this is so unprofessional. <laughs> they would, they would be. Um, I don't know. I think it'd be good. We could have that. Never mind. You know what? I was gonna go down a thought trail. I'm gonna reel gone, it back we've in. Gone down, <clears throat> we've gone down quite a few thought, yeah. thought trails this morning, which has prevented us from actually recording this, this episode. episode. So let's stay on track. Um. Well, Ashley, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. We had um, kindergarten open house this morning. So I feel like this is a great time to talk about this episode. (laughs) And this is actually the first episode that will air of season seven. That's so exciting. Technically episode two. Technically episode two. But (laughs) But it will be an episode in season seven. (laughs) That's incredible. It will be an it will episode. be an episode. So good job to us. Um, good job to us. I, how's your How's your summer been? Are you okay? You know we are hanging in there. Yeah, <laughs> we are about to enter what I call crazy season as photographers. So um, if you need me, I will be behind my computer editing um, most hours of the day. But I'm excited. It'll be It'll be good. Yay! And we're still alive. And I think there's some good things going on. And you've been thriving. Your garden this summer has thrived. Yeah, that has been nice. You are in your garden era and I am here for it. Yeah, I do love it. I've got a lot of thoughts about it and I've got, <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into it, but I've got both grubs and voles in my yard and it's a big problem. Oh. So do you know what would really help with that though, is getting either flightless geese or flightless ducks or um, chickens. And Zach says no. So anyway. Well, he can, we can convince him. We can. We can convince him of anything. Um, just look at, <laughs> look at, for example, I said, let's get married, right? Okay. So, <laughs> hey, everybody. Um, season seven, uh, we're going to be talking about all different types of things. Um, but one topic that always comes up for us, for Dear Nikki Mama, is what is life after NICU? And it's this whole encompassing thing, right? It's it's right when you get discharged all the way up till your kids are adults. adults. And so um, one of the biggest things that we could possibly talk about is this transition from toddlerdom to schooldom. And it's perfectly timed because for those based in North America or places where it will be fall, um, it is going to be the start of the school year. So we thought we could get a couple of our favorite NICU moms from our community together and chat a little bit about this. Ash, do you want to introduce these ladies? I would love to introduce these ladies. So first up, we have the one and only Kendra. And Kendra, do you want to introduce yourself? We've had you on the podcast before, so hopefully your voice is very familiar. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I'm Mama to Karen, (laughs) who just turned six in July, which is just 
wild in itself. But he is going to school full time for a second year. And he's our, well, was our full term medically complex NICU babe. And we've just had a lot of um, different findings actually this past year. And the past school year was a pretty turbulent one as far as illnesses go, but we've had an uneventful summer. So we are feeling hopeful going into the school year. Yay. I love it. We're so excited to hear your perspective. And I will never forget the day that you sent us the video of Callan getting on the bus and then Callan getting off the bus and his face when he lit up when he saw you guys was indescribable. So I cannot wait to hear Callan's story about being in school and what it's been like for you to send him to school. And so thank you for being here with us. And we also have the one and only Sarah, who happens to be the podcast coordinator. So she coordinated this whole episode. And I tried really hard to not be included in this because I hate listening to my own voice. But here we are. But we we convinced you and we're very glad. So Sarah, (laughs) can you please introduce yourself and a little bit about your story? Yeah, so um, I'm Sarah. My son, Connor, is four years old. He will be five in November, and he is starting his second year at his preschool. And he's been in school now for two weeks, and so far it's been pretty good. So I'm excited to share a little bit about the difference between his first year and now how we've started our second year and um, hopefully give some moms that are listening some hope that even if it starts off rocky, it will get better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and your guys' stories are unique as well because you guys both are former teachers. So you guys also come into this conversation with the perspective of not only being a NICU mom, not only sending your NICU grads to school, but also having the experience and background of being a teacher. So I'm really excited to dive into that as well kind of forget that part of my story <laughs> right no, it kind of just happened and I was like, since Wait. then have you been busy no. or what I recently told Connor because his favorite thing to do now is he wants to play pretend school oh. um and he'll ask me to be the teacher and I'm like oh honey I don't I don't do that anymore I used to do that and I used to get paid to do that and now right I, I don't want to be a teacher right now so you how like, about you be we're... the teacher and and I'll take a pretend nap Okay. Mm-hmm. You were like, you show me, show me the pension paperwork and then we'll talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to be compensated hourly for this activity because I'm way overqualified. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, Anyways. So Sarah and Kendra, you are just about to start the school year or actually uh, Sarah, you already have because you're in the great state of Arizona, which is a 3 million degrees. So you start a little bit earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So for both of you, how have your feelings changed from last year to this year? Um, and what are you feeling as you go into the school year? I can start. Um, so, Connor, I was extremely fortunate to find this preschool for Connor. It's a relatively small school. And it was recommended to us, actually, by Connor's physical therapist from the NICU. So I remember when we were looking for schools, her children didn't even attend this school. But she was like, hey, this school, I've heard really great things. It's very community-oriented in that they encourage parent participation. There's the student-to-teacher ratio is very small. So like as a former educator, all of those things sounded great. And last school year went... 
as well as it could have. Um, the school itself is amazing, but the transition for Connor from being home full time with mom to even just going three days a week for two and a half hours was really difficult. Um, yeah. So even up through the last few weeks of school, Connor had a really hard time at drop off and would have really big feelings at pickup. Um, so it, it was a struggle. So I was anticipating that the school year was going to be very similar. But so far, I've been very pleasantly surprised with just how everything has been going. He has been a little bit more independent, which has been great. He was familiar with his teacher just seeing her around campus last year. Mm -hmm. And I think that familiarity made him feel a little bit more comfortable. And so far, just the difference from the threes class to the fours class has been just night and day. And I always mm -hmm. tell my therapist this, <laughs> um, <laughs> if Connor's doing well, I'm doing well. So, right. you know, so far it's it's going fine. Um, we're two weeks in and he is doing great. No, no crying at drop off. He goes right in and it has been a long, long time coming though. So yeah. for parents that are, are worried about drop off, if your kid isn't uh, particularly happy with you leaving, just know that you are absolutely not alone and you are a good mom. Even if you continue to take them back to the school and they continue to cry, <laughs> you are doing mm -hmm. the right thing and it mm -hmm. will eventually pass. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What was it like for you? And I know Kendra will probably ask you this too, but like, cause I'm sure as a teacher and educator, you saw drop off struggles all the time in, in oh, yeah. your work. And so how was it to see that as an educator, but now be the parent on the other side? So my background was with third and fourth grade, so I didn't see it as much, but I remember sure. my first year teaching at a, a bigger school district, they had the first day of school, they call it a boo-hoo breakfast. And it's for like the the kindergarten parents and kids to like have a little breakfast together before drop off. Um, and I just remember thinking like, uh, because I was not that child, my parents tell me that I like walked right in and was like, deuces, I'll see you guys <laughs> later. Um, so I, I had high hopes that Connor was going to be that child that just walked right in and was just going to go play. But I think something that we have to remember that it sometimes it feels like a long time ago, but all of our kiddos have been dramatically impacted by COVID and, mm -hmm. and the amount of play dates and the amount of extracurriculars that our kiddos have been involved in are just not the same as they were, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, right. So there just wasn't a lot of experience prior to this drop off at preschool where he had been around total strangers and without mom. So this was a really, mm -hmm. a really big deal. But I guess just as an educator, I knew it was incredibly common. And I knew um, that, you know, they say the first two weeks are really tough. In my mind, I was like, oh, this will last two weeks. That that will be what the case is. And unfortunately for us, it lasted a lot longer than two weeks because as Martha, as I'm stealing this term from Martha, who stole it from somebody else, but my neuro spicy child um, <laughs> <laughs> just knew that I don't like to watch him be upset. And he was just hoping that the tears would, would sway me to take him back home. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was really challenging. But again, as an educator, I knew that it was extremely common. And that helped me get by a little bit more because I knew I wasn't sure. the only one. Yeah, absolutely. Kendra, take it away. You know, you threw in the whole COVID thing and we didn't do like the typical preschool experience with Callan. So our first kind of like drop off moment was actually at church when we finally felt like you we were comfortable enough to send him into like the like kids area. And I remember just being like, like he was totally fine. He was all like, ooh, kids everywhere. But I was like, <laughs> okay, like there's no nurses around. There's no one that's familiar with his seizures, like anything. And I mean, he's in a diaper, yeah. he's just all of these things. And so actually sending him to school for the first time, it was actually like a little summer school thing because of COVID. And it was a little easier. Like I was emotional because it was a huge just moment of our, you know, journey that he was like able to do this. And in a very typical way, like getting on a bus. But I felt mm-hmm. pretty comfortable because there was a school nurse and the parents were trained in with seizures and all this stuff. So I was like, from that side of things, I was pretty comfortable. And was, the first time was summer. So I was like, okay, germs are going to be at a more minimum, to, like get our toes in the water. Last year, mm-hmm. it was the same way. Like he was so excited to get on the bus. He just sees the bus and he lights up. So I'm really excited for him to experience, mm-hmm. just to, like see the bus again this year. I know he's going to be so so happy to to start a routine but last year typical cold and stuff they weren't that bad he had a lot of moments with like bad UTIs last year and so that was our big hurdle where he was out of school for a lot for that and then actually last summer I don't know if we've recorded since then where I've talked about this but he had a life-threatening pneumonia and we kind of dove into that this summer and figured out like Let's look at his true immune system and how it responds to things. And we found out that he truly is immunocompromised by his just different levels. So we're kind of in the process of figuring out if we need to do weekly injections for that or what. But knowing that, I just have this slight hesitancy of sending him back because of what we have coming up with his like medical side. So we have... Um, a sedated yeah, sure. dental cleaning at the end of September with hopefully getting T-tubes put in his ears. And then December 1st, he has a huge double hip surgery. So it's just one of those things of like, okay, this year right. we truly do have to try to keep him healthy for safety wise. Obviously he just struggles with things, but also because we have these big dates ahead of us. Yeah. And especially the double hip surgery. So I just try not to get too clouded because I love the routine. He loves the routine. He thrives off of it. He loves his classmates and his paras. He loves the bus. So overall, I'm I'm feeling hopeful and excited, but just have this like back of my mind kind of just, okay, how are we going to do this? What are are our next steps of going forward with these next few months? Yep. Absolutely. Oh, that's so hard too, Kendra. And it's challenging because Ashley, you had this last year with um, Silas's tonsillectomy, but mm-hmm. it's not that they just can't be sick at the time of the surgery. There, there. A lot of times they'll say, 
they can't be sick for X amount of time mm-hmm. before they go and under anesthesia and things like that. So it's like, not you just can't, not just don't be sick for this right. day, but also don't be sick for this like yeah. month oh, ahead yeah. of time. Months. And yeah. And, you know, it's so yeah. hard to get them on the schedule because mm-hmm. I remember you, they scheduled this hip surgery a long yeah, time ago. The, at the end of last year, because mm-hmm. his end of the school IEP meeting, I was already telling them the date of it. And so it's just like yeah. it's yeah. planned a very, very long time in advance. And, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, yes, we know it's cold and flu season while we're going to schedule this. But we also yeah. looked at the dates at that time. So we're going to pull him. I was just talking with his school nurse and she's like, I'm thinking maybe a week before. And I was like, hmm two weeks before because incubation right. time like no we're not risking this and then actually the starting of november we're gonna shut down like just more virtual church and just shutting it down as we go to really try to prevent it because i'm like we cannot miss the surgery because they even told us like if yeah. you wait too much longer he's gonna need a more extensive surgery than what it is and i'm like no like he's already gonna be casted for five weeks we don't need anything worse than that yeah. Wow. I do love hearing um, the heart and passion and advocacy you have for Callan. I hope that that's really inspiring for other um, mm-hmm. parents who have NICU grads who have all different types of medical procedures in their future to think about, okay, this is how we do it. This is how it becomes our new normal and how we, how you balance it out. And um, I always thought your teaching experience was probably well suited for this because you are a planner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's probably um, been, been an awesome pairing for, for you to have you as his mom and vice versa yeah. made for each other yeah. for sure. Absolutely. And I feel like too, you probably, not that this is your responsibility or your job, but I'm sure because of your just how you plan and how you advocate, you're teaching his teachers a lot and you're teaching, you know, even how they handle future kiddos who have these large medical procedures or just more needs. And so what a gift you're giving them too, of just like, Oh, this is what it takes, you know, to plan a huge procedure like this around an academic year. Yeah. And like I was saying before we even started recording, his school district has actually been very incredible this far and Mm -hmm. they've had a lot of more complex kiddos I shouldn't say a lot because obviously pretty rare but thankfully there's a couple other families in our district that have walked through similar things so Mm -hmm. it's it goes both ways and I'm just I know that's not always the case in a lot of districts and we've just been very fortunate to have been brought here before he was born and just have a great Mm -hmm. district yeah so important. So maybe not to go backwards a little bit, but you know, when you both were looking at enrolling your kiddos in school, maybe preschool or, you know, kindergarten, what were things that you looked for and were really important from you that ensured that your child's needs were going to be honored and met? Like what were some of the like non-negotiables? Well, for for us, um The biggest thing for me, I knew to avoid sickness as much as possible and to avoid Connor being extremely overstimulated, um, given his lack of social exposure because of COVID and prematurity, um, I was looking at the class sizes. Um, Mm -hmm. So Connor is in a class with 
this year I think there's 14 kids. Last year it was 12. And wow. there's there's three adults for those mm. 12 kids. So um, that was really important to me. Um, the other thing that was really important to me was making sure that um, I was really well-versed in their, um, in their like sickness protocol. Um, so something that this school does, I swear 50% of Connor's day is just like washing his hands and I'm totally yeah. fine with that, you know? So yeah. like they come into the classroom and they wash their hands and then they do something else. And then before they eat their snack, they wash their hands. And then mm-hmm. after they eat their snack, they wash their hands. Like it, it's just <laughs> constantly washing their hands and I'm like, great. If the only thing Connor learns while he's here is good hygiene, honestly, (laughs) I'm about it. Like, we need to not have him sick. And don't get me wrong, like, the second you walk into a childcare facility, you are at risk for sickness. But I really appreciated their their focus on on good hygiene. And um, they did have they do have really strict like if your child has like a cough that sounds bad, we're going to pull them from the classroom and we're going to send them home because we don't want this to spread everywhere. So I would say the the class sizes and like the sickness policy were really important for us. Um, mm-hmm. Just given preschool, my as an educator, my number one thing for Connor right now isn't the alphabet and the numbers. It's just regulating his like social and emotional abilities and learning to find some trusted friends and adults that aren't part of our immediate family. So those were, those were sort of it for, for our family. Sure. That's so good. For us, it wasn't really, like I said, preschool was all virtual and it was just weird and wild. So it's not like we even thought about like Montessori or just like ECFE. Like it was just, virtual and um they're actually like grouped with some this is like a while ago already it seems like that um some other students that had disabilities which was just so funny because half of them are like i could care less about the screen like let's just get back to playing but through that experience and through birth history from having you know callens needing therapists leading up to school I got to know a lot of different names through just those programs and being in the district. And so I already knew of like Callan's PT that was going to be at our school. Mm. And he already knew of Callan through our birth history therapist. And the, um, you know, it was just like this whole knit community. They're like, oh, we've heard of Callan through this. And so we didn't really have an option. We just mm-hmm. sent him. We could have you know, open enrolled in a school nearby, but it still would have been driving him every day and just not that true, not that riding a bus matters, but like it seemed pretty like a freeing for all of us and just this big moment. And so we're like, let's Mm -hmm. just do this. It's close by. That was another thing that was comforting for me. If I open enrolled and I'd go back home, like I'd be, you know, anywhere from like 20 to 25 minutes away from his school where in our old house, we were like five minutes away from his elementary school. So if anything were to happen, I could get there very quickly. And that was that was nice of having him just right in town and smaller-esque town probably compared to all three of you. Um, not like the town I grew up in. It was a town of 800 max, but smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. I just, I felt really 
comfortable with the connections that I made. I knew there was going to be a lot of germs. I was in an elementary school constantly. I know what it's like. But for us, it was Mm -hmm. he needed to be around other kids his age and seeing how he lit up Mm -hmm. and how he was just loving that interaction. That meant so much to us that it was worth the risk of that. And we've kept him so sheltered for the most part prior that we didn't even truly know how he would handle a cold or sort of kind of like we're willing to sacrifice these things because we see how much joy it brings him and we want to give him those opportunities and we'll just support and do as much as we can on the back side of it if it comes. Mm-hmm. We would be remiss too if we did not include Martha into this conversation because the day that we are recording this Martha and JJ had a pretty momentous day of kindergarten orientation. Yeah. We did it. We did it. She was like, I would like to stay here. And we were like, that's a really good sign. Yeah. She was was like, I would like to stay here. Um, There was all sorts of things. Um, They had a really cute bingo card. So she had to, we had to go through the bingo card to see all the different things in the room. It was really cute. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so Jacqueline just turned five in July, so she has a summer birthday and she's a preemie and we really talked about like holding her back in a daycare facility, but let's be real. That was so expensive. Um, (laughs) we are saving and I'm not joking you $14,000 by not sending her to a daycare this year. So that's it's, we realize it is a privilege to have this, but we, I was really concerned about just putting her right into kindergarten, particularly in um, the metro area where we live, a lot of the schools have language immersion. So I kind of was like, I don't know. I'm like, not only is she not ready for kindergarten, but like, let's her like, I, she also was going to learn Mandarin full time. And oh, oh my God, can you imagine? I, I don't speak Mandarin. I also, there would just be a lot of transitions. So mm-hmm. luckily we found out, um, a coworker of mine recommended, and, and some states have this, some districts have it, but it's a transitional program for kindergarten. So essentially it is a specific classroom. It's kind of like Sarah described. There's 15 kids and two teachers and a para, and they, um, have this big classroom, very similar to a daycare facility. A lot, it is kindergarten in the eyes of the state, but there's more focus on social emotional and that's definitely what she needs. Um, As Sarah said, she's a little, she's a little neural spicy. She's got some sensory (laughs) processing disorder stuff. She's been going to occupational therapy. So she really um, struggles with emotional regulation. And we've been doing some awesome stuff with like sensory brushing and all sorts of cool things. And um, Kendra, we're talking with our OT about getting one of those cool vestibular swings and stuff like that um, because it, she responds really well to that. Um, but we just knew that she needed to be in an environment like that. Kudos, it's in the same district as where my husband works too. So they are right next door. So there were just a lot of things that lined up. So I will say we did a lot of research ahead of time to try and figure out what made sense to us. And I just want to acknowledge too, that we had options that probably other people didn't have, like having access to a transitional program, um, you know, Mm -hmm. having had full-time care before, there's just so many elements to it. 
outside of the idea of your NICU kiddo, maybe having additional needs or, or having a perspective that you might want to consider as well. So that I want to just acknowledge, we felt really, really blessed to be where we are um, and to land there. So yeah, we feel good about it. I mean, I saw the Barbie movie and then her, she turned five and I just like sobbed for 48 hours. straight. So I feel like I got it all out. <laughs> So then I'm just, I'm just waiting for kindergarten day. It's going to be very weird. I did start to dissociate the second we walked in. There were so many people. And that's one thing that I has never really occurred to me is that she's not been in that consistent group of crowds Mm -hmm. that often. And I know there'll be teachers there helping her, but I'm just, you know, you see your small child next to like (laughs) sixth graders who look right. like they're in the cast of Riverdale. And I'm like, I can't. It's just very overwhelming. It's a big thing, especially when we've had the, all of these other formative experiences with our kiddos. So who knows how I'll feel, but I'm in, I'm in like biweekly therapies. So I feel like that's, that's what I need to be doing right now. I think that's important though to yeah. note is that, you know, set yourself up for success leading up to these huge milestones. Like give yourself those buffers of extra therapy or just like phone calls with friends that understand because it's a huge, huge transition. And not to put you on the spot, Martha, and you don't have to answer this if you don't feel comfortable, but the emotional aspect of sending your kid to like big school is a huge transition turning five and all of a sudden they're like this little adult you know like how was that for you even just preparing for kindergarten as a NICU parent I was like is she gonna bring up my little my little midsummer mentee no I'm not no I'm not bringing up the mentee I'm I'm just saying like it's a big transition for a lot of people no that's totally okay and there was a lot more going on in that there were some other factors but there were some other things to be totally transparent it was uh, around her birthday was a real rough time for my mental health. I was really struggling. And there were other, like you mentioned, there were other environmental factors. Let's just leave it at that, <laughs> that were contributing to the decline mm. of my mental state. But <laughs> I will say, and Ashley, Sarah, you guys were very much there for me. So thank you for me, you know, tolerating me. But I will say it was really hard and I wasn't anticipating it. Um, there was a couple of things about that, right? Uh, the finality of that time of life for us felt really overwhelming. I felt a lot of grief about JP, just Mm -hmm. feeling like that experience in his life felt really distant from what our current reality was, that this is something he'll never do, right? It was, there was a lot of stuff soaked into that. And we have so many incredible moms in our community that I know are also lost moms, I can think of just a couple off my top of my head who are also multiple moms who had uh, a lost twin. And so how emotional it is to see those kids going through and all you, mm-hmm. you, there's, it's almost kind of like, there's like a little shadow following you and uh, you don't want it to go away because it's also this, this an important part of your life. Uh, but also even just today, people were like, how many kids do you have? Is she, is she your oldest or your youngest or what do you do? So then you talk about it, you know, and I, we tell the teachers right away because, you know, JJ's going to come in and be like, my brother lives in the stars with Jesus. And I, and I want her to say how, whatever she feels, you know, mm-hmm. about it. I think yeah. that's really cool and powerful. But this idea that like fall comes, the start of year comes, it's this big passage of time for everybody. Mm-hmm. So this like red leaf fell down in our driveway the other day and JJ was like, 
look what JP sent to us. And I was like, oh, (laughs) anyway, so that's, and I, I, I appreciate you acknowledging it because I I was going to bring it up to you. It's just a big thing. Uh, We are all survivors of trauma. So not only is our transition difficult for our kids who have differing needs and, um, are you know their abilities are on on this huge spectrum but it's also complex for us too so it's it's important to acknowledge that so I think I was I have a really great support system so you know a lot of those people on this call are on that support system a hundred percent of the people on this call are in that support system (laughs) and um so that's really important to me and being really vocal with my like my providers my care providers and my family members was important too. So yeah. Yeah. I know I speak for all of us listening. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and for sharing that because I think again, anytime that we share those honest vulnerabilities, it makes another person feel a lot less crazy and a lot less alone. Yeah. And so, you know, as just this gentle reminder that if, if this time of year is challenging, it makes complete sense. Why? And it's so wild because when you're in the NICU, you see your little baby and you're like, what will it even, you, it's hard to even fathom life outside of the NICU. And then all of a sudden you're experiencing it and it's sometimes really hard to be present for it. I know for me, like those, these big beautiful moments you dreamed of are in front of you and they're so overwhelming that you're just like you feel kind of frozen and it's just wild to see these babies who have overcome so much all of a sudden doing things that you dreamed of and it's like what like this is insane (laughs) it's insane And even talking to parents who have kids that are like 16 years old. I mean, we talk with a mom often who has twins who are now like in college. And she's like, I still think about how they overcame so much as babies. Like that part of their story never goes away. And it makes these big graduations and moments even more momentous because I remember wondering if it would ever happen. Yeah, that's so true. Well, maybe on, you know, as we kind of get closer to the end of this episode, let's just chat real briefly about just like practical tips of how you maybe A, prepared your kiddos for school and B, how you prepared their teachers and worked with their teachers to make the year as successful as possible. So for us, there wasn't a lot of like needing to prepare. I shouldn't say needing, but like there wasn't a lot of ability to communicate with Callan just because of his disability you know we would talk through things yep. but there's just not that like reciprocating like you're understanding he's asked questions asking questions nothing like that um so for us you know it was a lot of the preparing through church and like having those things and right away telling myself for one of like I'm gonna know if things are going well or not by how he responds to getting on the bus so I kind of like watched for those cues And I really communicated with his whole entire team by just detailed emails. Like, it's okay. Like, you can be that parent. You have my permission (laughs) to be that parent of just, like, having those thorough details for your child to whoever their team looks like. Because every child is unique, but especially when you have just different things, maybe adding on to that, like different diagnoses or you know, just different abilities, it makes your child more complex and they want to be able to know and help your child too. 
I remember 90, I would say 90% of educators want to be there to help your child and they want to be able to see your child grow and flourish. I think there's some that are just like, I was out of this and for a while and I shouldn't be in it, but we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> there's a lot of exhaustion yeah. in education, but I think 90% yeah. of them, they desire to do that and they want to see your kid thrive. Mm -hmm. And so you communicating their needs is going to help them help your child. So mm -hmm. I just, yeah. I remember ending an IEP meeting and I was like, just like, this was a mess. Like technology was all over the place. And I was talking to, uh, she was like a fill-in therapist because um, there was a maternity leave kind of thing. And she pulled me aside in church actually, because she goes to our church and she's like, Kendra, you can ask to have another IEP and you can advocate to have it in person. So there's not those things. So just, it's okay to just be a little pushy and to get those mm -hmm. um, needs across and just be able to communicate and feel like you're heard and understood. And they, most educators and everyone on the team are very for that and open to that. And there were no issues on our end. So that really helped prepare him because they were better prepared on the back end for him. And not to put you on the spot again, um, but how important was it for you for Callan to be in a classroom? I mean, like, what is his classroom structure yeah. like? Is he with other yeah. kiddos that have disabilities? Like, what does that look like for so him? I don't know the percentages last year, but this year he'll be at about a 60-40. So he'll be pulled out about 60% of the day, and then the other 40% he'll be in the room. Now, when he's pulled out, he's not, like, it's a standard thing that a lot of parents with kids with disabilities have to really just, like, wrap their heads around because you think, like, oh, my gosh, he's getting you know, let's say physical therapy three times a week or whatever it would be. No, he's actually like in a group therapy most of that, like 60% of time. And so at that 60%, he's with other kids with disabilities. And they kind of range in complexities. And then um, the special ed teacher, along with the paras, kind of individualize how they need to be through those activities. So for us, it was really important to communicate that overall, I honestly, I don't care what he learns education-wise. Like for me and for Tyler, mm -hmm. we were both just like, no, like I don't care if he's ever able to spell his name or, you know, like those kind of things or identify letters. It was more so we wanted him to begin to learn how to socialize with other kids and mm -hmm. just pick up on different, more of those like, what do they call them? Like the norms, like society norms kind of things instead of like taking food out of mm -hmm. his mouth and throwing it like I wanted him to be in the classroom so that he could watch other kids using utensils to feed himself and they were all for that like his entire team figures out a way that he can be in with his peers as much as possible um, mm -hmm. aside from being pulled away for like diaper changes and meds and all of that they're just really good about getting him involved with his peers and his peers love being involved with him. So that's really incredible too. Mm. So it was, that was probably top priority was pushing for him to be with kids as much as possible. And then when I learned that he would still be with mm -hmm. kids with disabilities when he was pulled out, that eased my mind and the percentages kind of were just like meh. But although I think you yeah. were kind of saying it, Ashley, before is 
not only have the educators learned from us or from Callan, but the other students, they learn that empathy and mm. the differences and just the grace and how to interact with kids with disabilities mm. by him being included. So that's been yeah. really incredible to watch. Really incredible. incredible. Wow. Oh. You shared a little bit of an anecdote before we started recording, too. Um, and I know Alan has had a few really special relationships with other kiddos. Uh, and I think that's really cool to talk about because one of the outcomes of having kids with disabilities integrated uh, with general ed kids is that you get to see relationships flourish, that th those opportunities didn't really even exist when we were in school, That uh, you know? So it's so cool. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. So towards the end of last year, I got an email from his school teacher and she was like, Kendra, one of the classmates wants to have a play date with Callan over the summer, but I can't send your information over. So if you write it on a piece of paper, I can send it home with them and then you guys can coordinate on your own. And I was like, okay, wrote it down. And it was about a month later that I got a text from my mom and <laughs> I stared at it for like two days because I was like, I don't know how to respond to this. She was like, Kendra, I got your note about connecting this summer and we would love to. And I'm going to, you know, not say names or anything like that. But I was like, how do I respond to this? Like, does this mom know that my son is like severely disabled, that he's nonverbal, that he's in a wheelchair? Like, is this student disabled? Like, did they meet in their pullout classroom? I just was left with so many questions and like, how do I even begin this text? And so I kind of right. briefly shared like, oh, hi, I'm not sure if your daughter shared with you, but he's nonverbal and, you know, just all these things. And I left it, thankfully, his birthday party was coming up. Uh, I had left it as a like, if you want, you're more than welcome to come join us. It's just a small get together for his party. And she was all excited. She's like, we are open that weekend. We would love to come. Do you mind if my husband and son come? It's absolutely not. We would love to have you all. And it was about like a week leading up to it. And she goes, so my daughter really insists on getting Callan pots and pans for his birthday. And my heart just like melted because Callan's favorite things are pots and pans, like banging on pots and pans. <laughs> And so his classmates, to get him happy or, like, encourage him while he's in his stander or, like, on picture day, they'll say, like, pots and pans, pots and pans to get him to, like, light up and smile and be happy. And so she, this sweet, sweet, like, neurotypical child, just desired to get him pots and pans because she knew that that was his favorite. And the, the family came, and that's what they got him, and he was just so happy. And just a lot of times you can just tell like this whole entire family was just the most genuine and sweet family and Tyler did a lot of talking with them and she's like no I didn't understand the complexities but she she talks about him all the time and she just loves to uh, um, just help him out and push him around and play with him and I just got a text from mm. her mom the other day asking who Callan's teacher was this year and they're in the same classroom so oh, it's just, it's really heartwarming. And I know on the back end, the teachers are like, they've told us that we try to keep those kids that love on him with him because they will show others and teach others how to do the same. 
So yeah, yeah. it's been, it's been very oh, special. So beautiful. So Ash, you had asked about what, what were some things that we did to prep our kid and then like prep the teachers. So a lot of times as a former educator, um, teachers will send home like surveys. Um, my teacher, my teacher pitches like as a parent, please fill those out, write down as much as you can. Like when they ask you questions, like what motivates your child? What does your child not like? Um, you know, those types of questions, um, teachers want to know and need to know the answers to those um, so they can help provide a safe and supportive environment that is motivating for kids to want to come to school. Um, So I would say I'm I'm thankful that our preschool um, sends home these like very long (laughs) surveys that they want answers to. Um, The other thing that I had to fill out is I know the NICU mom community knows the stupid ASQ surveys where they're like, have your child do this activity. Do they, can they do this always or sometimes or never? And of course there's stuff on there that I, I get so triggered by these surveys because it's, it's literally a comparison game. They want to know like where the kids are um, as a whole. And while that's great and it's useful information as an educator, as a parent, it doesn't feel good when you go through and you do those things and you realize that your child has scored a zero in fine motor skills, right? Um, yeah. So uh, all of all of that information is extremely important for the teachers to have. Um, so I'm thankful that, that um, the last two years, Connor has been very blessed with amazing, amazing teachers. Um, and we have given them all of the information we can um, to help them work with Connor and his spicy personality. Um, though I will say our, our, our latest struggle was I picked Connor up from school on Monday and the teacher was like, Hey Sarah, um, I had read all his documentation about what he's working on in OT, but we were doing stuff with Play-Doh and they were like rolling the Play-Doh out so they could make letters so the kids could spell their name and Connor would refuse. He was refusing to do it. Can he do that? And I was like, yeah, he can absolutely. He loves Play-Doh. He's definitely like, (laughs) now he's just working you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. What a Connor thing. He's like, oh no, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so when By the I, way, I wish home, you guys could all hear how Connor like refuses to do things because he's just like super casual sounding. He's just like, he, 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 he'll be like, I'm good. And we were like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He'll be like, Connor, do you want to like sit in color with JJ? I'm good. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, and the adults think it's funny and it is funny because he's yes. four and he talks like a little adult. But anyway, he was exactly. like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, and when he got home and I asked him, I was like, hey, what, what was up with the Play-Doh thing today? And he was like, oh, the Play-Doh was way too soft. And I was like, oh, God, okay, we'll work on this in OT. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was like a sensory thing, right? Like he was like, no, this is this is like fresh Play-Doh and I don't mess with fresh Play-Doh. That's not something that I do. So oh we're all just still learning our kids. <laughs> yeah. And things that will set them off. Um so uh, the other thing that I'm very fortunate because I am not working a nine to five is I'm on the executive board for the preschool. And I think it, it <laughs> to be as direct as possible, you don't really 
teachers are less likely to mess with the kids of the parents that are on the PTA, right? <laughs> like it's just something that you know. And but but the other side of it is it's helping make make sure that the school is inclusive and and doing these great educational things and making sure that Connor has the best educational experience possible. Um, so yeah. if you have the time and the ability, um, I know that almost every school is looking for like parent supports. Um, and that's mm-hmm. another way that you can kind of get involved with your child's education and help make sure that um, you're always in the know for what's going on. Yeah. So good. Martha, I know kindergarten is next week, but how have you been kind of working with JJ to kind of, I mean, I'm so glad she loved it. That's a huge, huge good sign. Yeah, today. But like, is there, but is there, (laughs) is there anything that you've been, um, kind of talking with her through just to kind of help prepare? Cause JJ also doesn't love change. No. She doesn't. She also doesn't like funny smells. And so, those are really smelly I know, too. I know. This is. I'm not even. I'm not even joking. You. I went in the, the school today and I was like, "This smells pretty good." But one of her least favorite smells is lunch food, and y'all know what I mean oh, by no. lunch food. And so we, I can smell she, it now. It's like, like breaking me back. Yeah, she would sometimes will refuse to eat food if it smells bad. If like the lunch, if the area smells bad. So I'm really looking forward to seeing like how the sensory is. She's going to be president. Out. Yeah, well, TBD, president of the the smelly food club. I guess it really helps her to do. Um, her sensory brushing and we do like a little exposure things. They call it like sensory hygiene practices, right? Um, so we're doing some extra practice with that. And then um, also, you know, there's a period of time when she'll be home during the day and it's just her and me actually. So we've been doing a lot of stuff to get her. So she has a little desk in my office. <laughs> so we have matching desks and we put together a visual uh, menu of different activities that she can do because structure is really important to her. So she helped me put that together. She helped put Mm -hmm. together her little activity activity area. Um, And so, and we've also been doing things too. Like we, we did her pediatrician appointment nice and early in the summer. So we could talk through whatever we needed to as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Sleep has been an ongoing issue for us. So she helped us kind of strategize how we could make sure kiddos get sleep because I mean, um, Kendra and Sarah, you know, like that, that transition, even like between like you jump from um, home to daycare and then daycare to preschool and preschool to school and like the exhaustion levels just like go up crazy. Mm -hmm. So we're just, we want, she just really encourages us to, to make sure that we get like the basics done. Is she getting enough food to eat during the day? Is she getting enough sleep at nighttime? And that's important for all kids, but especially these kiddos. Um, and, and then, parents. and parents, <laughs> <laughs> I slept on the ground last night. Um, so I also want to bring up too, she's asthmatic. Jacqueline is asthmatic. So it's really important um, too, that we, we touched base with her respiratory care team to talk through what that looks mm-hmm. like uh, to make sure that we had extra medications and things too. It's just all this like kind of preparation because that's all we can do because there is going to be so much mystery of it. And that's the crazy thing. Like Kendra, you talked about like literally you just like wave mm-hmm. goodbye to Callan on a bus that like, I'm not going to go into the school again now until parent teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, another thing I did, um, 
to was, and this was actually great. We were encouraged by her daycare facility to do this is to get a map of the school. I know that sounds really dumb, but that was really, okay. She's not, she's not going to have a nap time, right? So she's going to have rest time. How close is the bathroom? How close are these things? You can walk through them with her because there's a lot of things, you know, um, with all these different kids and all their, you know, and who they are right to understand. Um, but yeah, I think she's perfect. It's prepare as much as you can, right? You do the research that you can. Um, I found like there's some mom groups that are helpful, but mostly I feel like just going directly to the source, going directly to the principal or the teacher is what's been most helpful Mm -hmm. in figuring out like what the reality is for this school. Yeah, absolutely. So good. I love the map idea. That's really great. Well, due to um, busy mom life, we are at the end of our episode here, but I just want to thank each and every one of you for sharing as a mom who will be adventuring into that world next year. This Mm -hmm. is very helpful information as we prepare for that. Um, But to all of our moms listening, we just want to acknowledge how significant this time of year is and how significant this change in season and academic year is. And if you are finding yourself feeling overwhelmed, overstimulated, all of the above, just know that you're not alone. Um, Our hope is that throughout this episode, it's been reiterated that it's a big, big transition for NICU families to see their little miracles out in the world officially (laughs) and also acknowledge the work it takes to advocate. Um, We want to commend you for doing a lot of this back-end work that sometimes I'm sure just feels incredibly exhausting, but know that we are so incredibly proud of you and we see it and um, it does not go unnoticed and your kiddos are so, so lucky to have you as their mom. So thank you for joining us. We are celebrating all of the beautiful milestones that these NICU grads are accomplishing every day, and we know it's going to be a great school year. So uh, we hope this episode was insightful and helpful, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear NICU Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Maniki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood. 